Making History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, when, what they hated, who they loved, and other less known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we're all human and make mistakes, but that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. Hey everybody, welcome to Humanizing History. I'm Nick Downey. I'm Cliff Boone. And welcome to the podcast. So, Cliff, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing very well. How about you? I'm doing well. This is a little bit different. We are recording midweek. Yes. So, just so everybody knows, we messed up. We are rookies, <laughs> you know, and it is A-OK. So, we're actually recording this episode for the second time on Sunday when we were when I was editing this episode. We made the egregious error of only having one microphone working. So, uh, yeah, it was a little bit peeved this weekend. Yeah. Lesson learned, do a mic check. <laughs> yeah, that is like, you know, broadcasting 101. And <laughs> clearly it's been, I don't know, 12 years since I was in broadcast school. So uh, it, it's been a while. So forgive us. But we're, we're, we're hustling. We're getting stuff out. Cliff was awesome and put out the uh, Ben Franklin episode within a day so that was very difficult i had to edit well because both of us have full-time jobs right uh, so i was editing and working and you know being a husband and father uh so I, I did mess up the editing a little bit so don't yell at us too much for that i'm learning that still too but we got that out we're gonna try and get this one out um scheduled yeah we'll get so, this one out we'll get this out one out on a monday so you're hopefully you're one of those humanizing history you know uh, groupies and moment it comes out you're hopping on it but we'll make sure to get this out to all of the social medias and get you guys posted as quickly as possible so we'll be right back on track honestly being a day or two I think late yeah, that's awesome like for what we've been doing we've been putting them out pretty pretty regularly right so I'm happy yeah so I'm excited now it's gonna be interesting doing this whole podcast over again so it'll we all, we, you already know what we've talked about, so bear with us. We may sound a little, uh, mo- I don't want to say monotone, but it'll be interesting to see how the banter is the second go around. Sure. Well, yes. I, I First, before we start, I'd like to give a shout out to our newest listener in a new country, Germany. Yeah. So hello to our German listener. Do you know what it probably was? What's that? It was probably, you know, Henry Ford being a Nazi. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please, please, uh, please forgive us. Uh, please forgive me. And uh, this is probably going to get us canceled. So Cliff was a great run. And uh, we made five episodes. We made five episodes before we got canceled. All right. Join Cliff for his next podcast, <laughs> Humanizing History Sans Nick. Uh, but no, this is awesome. You know, we are only, we've only put out, what, five episodes at this point? Correct. This will yeah. be our fifth episode. So seeing people all over the world, we appreciate the support. We can't wait to see this podcast grow, and we got some really good things to come. Absolutely. So please, also, it helps us out if you guys give us a review. Email us. Let us know what we're doing wrong, too, because I know that our sound can be tweaked a little bit, so we're working on that. But anything else you don't like, let us know. 
Also, the things you do like, we like uh, those those pats on the back too. Yeah. I've worked for too long. I'm not used to that. I'm just <laughs> used to being told what I'm doing wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's uh, re-dive into uh, today's topic. So we're going to talk about a very interesting individual, Vincent Van Gogh. So before doing this podcast, Cliff, how much did you know about Vincent Van Gogh? Not much. I I, I remember that you know he was obviously a painter. Uh, he was famous for chopping his ear off. Right. And uh, that he killed himself. Right, right. And yeah, you pretty much summed up the podcast. And we'll good just night, uh, folks. good night. But uh, no, you know, I was kind of in the same boat. All I knew is that he was a painter. I knew that uh, he was a little bit off his rocker, hence cutting off your own ear, which we will talk about. And I just thought that was interesting because, I mean, we've done a lot on racism and womenizing and things like that with a lot of our podcasts. And so I just wanted to kind of get a different podcast out there, or a different episode out there, looking at a different angle of everything. So I think this is going to be going to be a fun podcast. I agree. Yeah. Cool. Paint me a picture. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's dive into Vincent Van Gogh. So... Vincent van Gogh was born on March 30th, 1853, in Zundert, Netherlands. Before I go any further, there's a lot of French and foreign language in this episode. So, if I butcher everything, uh, please forgive me. But I believe it is Zundert, Netherlands, to an upper-middle-class family. His father, Theodorus van Gogh, was a minister of the Dutch Reformed Church. This may play a factor in his childhood because the neighborhood he grew up in is actually more of a Catholic background, and he is Protestant. So it, it could have played, you know, something in, in his childhood. But uh, he is best known for being one of the most famous and influential figures of the post-Impressionist movement. His most notable works consist of Paintings like Starry Night, that's the one I think of when I think of Van Gogh. Uh, portrait of Dr. Gachette, probably said that wrong. Uh, the Scream, this one I always love because I always think aliens. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about the first time that we recorded this, how it looks so stereotypically like your typical gray. Right, right. And... You know, Starry Night. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the renditions or the remixes of Starry Night, where they have like the UFOs and the abductions. <laughs> You'll have to check them out. They're, they're pretty I'll funny. Look them up now. And and he really did a whole number, actually countless more paintings that that we know of. And he's one of, like we've said, one of the most famous artists of all time. <laughs> During his time as an artist, he was extremely close to his brother. Theo, not to get confused with his father, Theodorus. Theo was his financial support for most of his life. We're going to talk about how he was uh, pretty poor, you know. So okay. he he needed that financial support, but he was very close with his brother, Theo. We know much about his life just due to the correspondence between him and his brother. So him and his brother had about 800 letters back and forth throughout their lifetime where he explained a lot of what was going on, what he was doing. So when I was actually doing this podcast, I was a little leery about going into Vincent Van Gogh just because, first of all, I thought he lived ages ago. Yeah, yeah. Again, when we did this podcast before, Nick said when he was born, and I thought, wow, he, it was that recent? Because <laughs> like Nick was saying last podcast, it's almost like we know American history. 
everything before that just seems so long ago. Right. And it really wasn't. Right. I mean, Van Gogh was 1850, was born in 1853, so that was what? N- not even 200 years ago. Yeah. We're talking just before the Civil War. Well, in our last podcast, we were talking about somebody that was born in 1706. Right. We, we just need to get on board with America's of course. not the center of the <laughs> yeah, universe. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you know all of our U.S.-centric maps that we have yeah. in all of our, our schools. All I remember, do you watch Parks and Rec? <sighs> okay, people hate me for this. I have tried watching that first season a handful of times. Can never get past like the first like six episodes. Okay, hey, yeah, I get it. People give me crap. I hate The Office. I can't stand it. Do you know what's funny is they really are the exact same show, but <laughs> not. that's beside the point. But, well, there's one episode where Ron, the uh, the guy who is just typical all American. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, Nick so Offerman, the guy who plays Nick, Nick Offerman. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. He said history began July fourth, seventeen seventy six. Everything before that was a mistake. <laughs> oh, that's so true. That's not how we view the world, but it's kind of funny. So in this in this podcast, we've already called all Germans Nazis, and we have said that all other history was wrong before America was. <laughs> We're just alienate, alienating our international audience right now. I'm so. sorry to all four of you. <laughs> Please come back and listen. We love you. Let's go back into this. We know much about his life because of uh, Theo, his brother, and many of the stories and information we will cover, in, you know, in our conversation tonight, actually come from those letters that were saved by his brother and eventually his his sister-in-law. So, did he only have the one brother? If I remember correctly, he had six or seven. Oh my word! I think only one of them really was what helped him throughout his life yeah there was really only one that played a a big role in his life and so that's why i really only talk about theo gotcha but he did have other uh brothers and if i remember correctly i believe vincent was actually named after his first brother who was a stillborn i believe jeez if i remember that correctly i could be completely wrong there but I'm almost positive that he was, that that was what he was named after. I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. Or you, you if you, why I'm uh, talking tonight, maybe you can look that up. But I'm sure. almost positive he was. So let's go back into this, why Cliff is looking that up. So we're going to talk about first Van Gogh's love life. I think we tend to start with love life for some reason. It just seems like a universal topic that we can all talk about. We all relate. We've been there, yeah. Right, right. So Vincent Van Gogh, for lack of a better word, had a sad relationship history. Like, we're going to go through these things and you're going to wonder, like, why in the world would he even try to date people with the history that he has? Okay. So. I remember a bit about this. (laughs) Yep, yep. It's, it's. (laughs) It is an absolute train wreck. So Vincent van Gogh would tend to fall for women that society, even in today's standards, would consider inappropriate or undesirable. So we're going to talk about each of these women he fell in love with. The key to that last sentence is, is we're going to talk about the women he fell in love with. Okay. So unfortunately for him, many of the women he fancied did not reciprocate the feeling. So he was a go-getter. And I, the thing that sucks is I have friends like this that they they fall in love before they even talk to the woman. Mm-hmm. And then they they try to hit on them and it doesn't work out and they're heartbroken. I kind of feel like that's what Van Gogh is all about. Okay. So we'll so go into is, that. Is he the original incel? The original what? Incel. 
Have you not heard this word? No. Okay. It stands for involuntary celibate. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, he wasn't quite celibate, but yes, uh, very close to. And real quick, now, while you're taking a drink of your beer here, let me say, Van Gogh was given the name of his grandfather and of a brother stillborn a year before him. Okay. Cool. So it was... I mean, not cool, sides. but <laughs> I got my fact right. Yeah. And what's weird is... The stillborn brother was born exactly one year before him. No way. Yes. I did not realize that. Yep. To the day? It says exactly to a year. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, let's go back into his love life. Van Gogh was consistently rejected throughout his life. He actually proposed to three different women throughout his life. In each instance, he was rejected. Poor guy. Can you imagine that? Like, I remember the stress when I proposed to my wife i was so excited but i remember the whole time just like shaking yeah and if she would have said no first of all i was in front of like hundreds of people it would have been the most where were you at so up in sedona there's a place called uh, devil's bridge okay and so there is you know there's a really nice natural bridge that's over about 75 feet so if you were to fall you you'd be dead sure but at the time, it was in the summer, so there was a lot of people, and there was like a line, and everybody was taking pictures and stuff, so you'd get onto the bridge, and I had my brothers there, and so they took the picture, and it, it, there's a video of it, and we're standing there, and I'm fiddling. I wore these god-awful cargo shorts, because I needed something to hold the ring in, and I remember Bethany, that's my wife, uh, she, after the fact, she's like, I knew it was weird when you wore those super baggy cargo shorts. And in the video, you can see just me fiddling with it the whole time. <laughs> and then I get on my knee and the roar of, you know, 100 people. Oh, my gosh. Da, 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 da. But if she would have said no, you just jump. <laughs> that would have been perfect. That's why That's why I did it. You know, no, I'm not going to recommend that at out. all. <laughs> uh, okay. Can... Suicide is not, the, that's not an option, people. <laughs> I... I proposed to Amanda when she came back from Minnesota. She had flown out to see family. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go. I was working. So when she flew back, I met her at the airport. Yeah. But I called her and said, oh, you know, I can't make it. My ankle's giving me problems. So it's just going to be your mom. Mm -hmm. Well, I took her mom out. We went and searched for a ring, found the ring for her, and met her at Sky Harbor. And I was expecting her to be like, oh, the love of my life is here to see me. The first thing she said when she saw me was, you lied to me. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to be there. And then I dropped to my knees and she just, you know, became jelly. Yeah. I was, dude, I was pure jelly. Yeah. I don't even think I said the words, will you marry me? I just kind of <laughs> like. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let's get back to the topic. I think I would have been absolutely crushed. And I can't imagine yeah. doing that three times and getting rejected oh, each absolutely time. absolutely not. I can't even think about getting rejected once. But you think you would calculate that, that question before you asked it. But yeah, you know, there's some people that are just go getters. So he he was obviously a yeah. go getter, blind go getter. But yeah. So let's talk about his first love. So he first fell in love with Caroline Handbeek. Uh, her and Vincent were extremely close, but not for the reason you would think. So yeah, Caroline and Vincent were cousins. So falling in love with your cousin—that's a bit awkward. I've heard uh, of the term kissing cousins, but I've never heard of proposing cousin. Yeah. Yeah. I 
I don't know. I just, yeah, I just don't get how that would be a thing. But that's who he fell in love with. And to be exact, she was his second cousin on his mother's side. Obviously, his family viewed the love as inappropriate and disgusting. Especially, I mean, first of all, even in today's society, wrong. Yeah. It was, And it was wrong back then. He's also coming from a very religious Christian household. Sure. So there's very strict guidelines to who you should marry and your cousin is definitely not one of those people absolutely so obviously his family you know wasn't into it uh, they did not give their blessing on top of that caroline as i've mentioned did not feel exactly the same way as vincent so he loved his cousin his cousin did not love him back i just pictured they're at a family gathering they're having mm-hmm. a picnic you know out in the woods or whatever and he's walking up so caroline what's going on yeah, cool. Did you see Uncle Bobby got that? Yeah, cool. You want to get married? <laughs> She's like, Aunt Linda, he won't leave me alone. He's asking me to marry him again. Ah, uh, good old Aunt like, Linda. If my was? Aunt Linda is listening, hello. But <laughs> Hi, Aunt Linda. Hi, Aunt Linda. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so it just was disastrous. She said no, denied him his ma- of the marriage proposal, and she would be even married to another man shortly after. But good for her, you know. Don't marry your cousin. That wasn't a family member. This that was not a family member. No, okay, was not. So that is tale number one. So great start right off the bat. So the next, the next lucky lady was Eugenie Lawyer. Uh, She she was a 19-year-old of his landlady, which is interesting because if you guys listen to the podcast about Ben Franklin, he also fell in love with his landlady's daughter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Van Gogh was living in London at the time. We'll talk about it later, but this whole London factor is very important. And this relationship is actually going to play a huge role in his life. His landlady rented him the room when he was uh, working at, and please forgive me, Goupil or G-O-U-P-I-L art dealers. So I want to hear you say it with an accent like oh, you live Goupil. there. <laughs> Why well, was it Italian? I don't know. <laughs> you even held your hands up like an Italian. Uh, uh, I don't know. I can't do the French act. I can't do many accents. Okay. Steele <laughs> is, he was an art dealer. He was a trainee art dealer in 1873 out there in London. Right away, Eugenie and Vincent hit it off. Only problem, Eugenie put him in the friend zone. She's quoted as saying, they got along like brother and sister. Which I'm sure to him meant game on <laughs> but to her it meant something totally we're friends different. oh no brother and sister are the closest kind of lovers what was her last name again i believe it's lawyer it's l-o-y-e-r oh i was thinking l-a-w-o no, okay. no, no, all right cool no. so got on like brother and sister which i feel bad for the dude like friend zoning that that's not fun I don't know if I've ever been friend zoned. I've been with Mandy for so long. It's almost like from the time that I could date, I dated Mandy. Right, right. The funny thing is, is I always worked out of the friend zone. Like I was always the guy that was your best friend, and then after we hung out for a long time, we ended up dating. It, that just ended up how it was. How it was. I liked being friends first. It just made date for me. It made dating easier. And I totally see why it would, because mm-hmm. you'd rather know somebody before you start. Right. Get involved with them. Right. Sure. And, you know, I have a face for radio, so they fell in love with my heart. Well, I think Van Gogh had the same kind of thing. He got close to his cousin first and then <laughs> fell in love with her. <laughs> oh, jeez. My apologies. <laughs> anyway, Vincent viewed their relationship differently. 
Later that year, he would propose to Eugenie. Once again, the dude was rejected. In fact, she was actually secretly engaged at the time. I don't know why it was secret, but she was secretly engaged to Samuel Plowman. The funny and kind of ironic thing with it is he was the man that lived in Van Gogh's room prior to Vincent. So this this denial affected him severely. Gotcha. So the dude that was just living in your place before you, she actually married, not you. And so it really affected him, and it actually resulted in in him becoming depressed, withdrawn, and this is where he kind of started going a little crazy. Okay. This is where he started to act strangely. Okay. I would say he started to act strangely a while before that. You know what's interesting, though, is like, if, if that wasn't strange, you know, if people weren't seeing him as acting strangely then... Can you imagine after now they're saying he's acting strangely? Like, yeah, what level be? <laughs> of crazy that would be? So, yeah. So, this this was not a very good relationship or not a good portion of, of Van Gogh's life. Next one, you know, like I said earlier, Van Gogh was rejected three times when he asked people to marry him. So, the third one was in 1881. He was at it again. He proposed to Key Stricker. And once again, was told, and this was quoted, no, nay, never. So not just like, no, man, I'm, I'm, I don't want this, I'm unfortunate. No, nay, never. Like, just the ultimate slap in the face. However, this one had even additional odd elements to it. First, Stricker was a widow whose husband had, like, just passed away. I think last time we were talking about this, one of us made a comment about... Uh... What was it? Wedding, Wedding crashers. crashers. Yeah, where he's like, started crashing funerals now. <laughs> yes, Van Gogh is the first ever... Not Will Ferrell. Vincent Van Gogh was the very first ever funeral, funeral crasher. crasher. Hey, you know. But clearly it did not work. On top of that, she was also, guess it... Oh my gosh, his cousin? Yes. <laughs> Another one in the family. I really hope that this is the first girl's sister. <laughs> So he didn't even go to a different family. <laughs> I don't think it was, but either way, yep, going after the cousins again. Again, Van Gogh did not take the rejection well, but this time he actually took action after the rejection. Against the wishes of both families, obviously, <laughs> he actually pursued Stricker to Amsterdam and eventually showed up at the family's doorstep. Oh he gosh. sat down with the entire family, minus Key, and tried to win, tried to win her. So basically, it was like, "Hey, Uncle, uh, I really love your daughter. Can you, uh, can, can I marry her?" So he got a no. Yeah, it, it didn't work out. He tried to win her over. However, her father tried to convince him to leave and just forget about her. Just, just leave. We'll try to forget about it. Just forget about her. Move on. Van Gogh, yeah, yeah, definitely, and and he was out. He he left the city shortly after. Yeah. So now that was the last time that he ended up proposing to any woman. Yes. Okay. So he learned his lesson after the third time, and his second cousin that, uh, yeah, this ain't working. So that wasn't the end of his love life. So although he proposed three times, he didn't he didn't give up. So in 1882, so really shortly after, he became involved with. Cosina Maria Hernick. I probably butchered that. But she was also known as Cien. So I'm going to call her Cien from the the rest of this so I don't butcher her name. But 
Sien was not the type of lady you would take home to meet your parents. So Van Gogh even wrote that he was attracted to those women whom the clergymen damn and superstitiously despise and condemn from the pulpit. So you mean explain it like I'm five. What, what were they saying about her? I mean, it's, it's, they weren't even saying much. It was just who she was. So the reason why she was not accepted was she was a prostitute. Gotcha. Not just a prostitute, though. She was pregnant. Ooh, okay. Okay. Right. And not with his kid. Usually you got to pay extra for that. <laughs> Sometimes you do. <laughs> uh, but his family also hated her because she was Catholic. Okay. Oh, now that's the worst of all. We're Protestant. How dare you, son? My gosh, two sides of the same coin. Right, exactly. So, yeah, we can maybe live with the fact that she sells her body for sex. But she's Catholic, so you cannot bury her. Van Gogh ended up living with Sien for almost two years, but the relationship was known to be emotionally and physically unstable. Was she working this whole time they were living together? No. Okay, so when they got together, she quit hooking yes. around. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. I was going to say, I can see why it would become emotional. Oh, yeah. Okay. But, funny you should bring that up, is because we look at this and things do start to change because of the whole occupation thing. Okay. So, towards the end of their relationship, Van Gogh was extremely involved with his work. However, he was poor, as we mentioned in the beginning. And Sien's family pushed her to go back into prostitution to earn some money. Her family? Yeah. My gosh. Kind of just, it's sad because it's... How desperate does your family need to be that it's like... Desperation well, shouldn't have anything to do with it. When I can understand your mom saying, hey, I really wish you'd go back to school. Mm-hmm. You know, come on, I'll help you out. But they're right. like, I really wish you'd get back on the corner. Come on, I'll put you on the horse and take you down there. It's a totally different idea. Right, right. Either way, horrible. But it did... They, they tried to push her back in because they needed the money. And when Vincent's family learned of this... They encouraged him to leave. Like, you're done. He did. And although he had promised to marry her, he only actually saw her one more time after that. Which is kind of sad, you know. He finally found a woman that he can live with, he can love, was going to try to marry her. It doesn't work out. Sure. So his one shot at love kind of fell through. So... Van Gogh had a few other romantic partners throughout his life. However, one last notable relationship was with Margot Begman in 1884. So, first thing that was a little odd for the time, she was 10 years older than him. Oh, yikes. Okay. So, at that time, that's that's a big gap. Sure. She, and, and the other thing that was different from the other women is she wanted to marry him. But her family, specifically her sister, opposed the marriage. Couldn't figure out exactly why. Maybe it was because of the age difference, or maybe she just didn't like him. But due to the anxiety and nervousness caused by the gossip spread by her family, she actually attempted suicide because of the Jeez. yeah. Because you think she just run off and say, "Screw you guys, I'm going with with Vincent." Here. Right. Instead, she's tried to off herself. Yep. And not and not in just like in a quick and easy way she poisoned herself in 1884 oh she straight up juliet of it yes and luckily vincent was able to force her to vomit and get her into the doctor's care so he actually ended up saving her life 
How did he get her to vomit? I don't know. I proposed to two different cousins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you what? Oh, gosh. Why do I want to marry you? <laughs> so that's awesome, though, that he, he saved a life. Yeah, he saved, he saved her life. Uh, but just because of everything that happened, their relationship shortly ended. Or ended there shortly after. So Sure. But what a great love life. I mean, I'm jealous. Oh, of course. My love life has been so normal. <laughs> right? I, I, I wish I had the excitement. I lie. I don't. I'm happy with my love life. Oh, yeah. I mean, this would... If I read this and, and thought this was like the normal thing, I would never fall in love. It would just be Absolutely like, not. Heck no. So people out there, Van Gogh may be great to look up to in art. Don't look up to his, uh, his love life. No. Do not propose to your cousins. <laughs> yes. Yes. Please do not do that. It's illegal, so... Yeah, but third cousin is the minimum, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Gosh, I don't even know who my third... Like, do you know your third cousins? I don't even know how that, like... We were trying to figure that out at my brother's wedding, because, like, there's... Our family is very spread out. There's a lot of age gaps, and, like, my direct cousins are, like, in their 50s, and I'm in my 30s. Jeez. But their kids are closer to my age, and so, and then but they I would be your second cousins, right? Yeah. And so we're trying to figure out what my nine-month-old son would be, how, like the what their title would be to my cousins' kids who were closer to my age. It's just a, it's the ages in my family are totally crazy. So, do you have anybody that's removed? So I think technically my cousins' kids who are my age. I'm pretty sure that is my cousin once removed. Which means... First cousin what? I, I don't know. know. Okay. Somebody please write in and say, hey, you guys are dorks. This is what it means. Because I want to know, what does it mean? This is my cousin twice removed. Yeah, so if there's ever an opportunity, he might be able to marry his third cousin twice removed or something. Right, Cliff? I, <laughs> hey, you know, if my wife decides to leave me, I have a lot of cousins. <laughs> Just saying. I'll go all Van Gogh on Oh, him. my gosh. Oh, Van Gogh, get him. But... Uh, <laughs> Oh. Uh, but we digress. <laughs> Let's talk another topic. This was uh, this one went a little bit <laughs> sideways, quick. But uh, let's talk about Van Gogh's success, or should I say, lack of success? <laughs> this guy's just a straight up that. <laughs> this guy's a straight up failure. I'm sorry, Vincent. <laughs> if you're listening from the grave, you ended up becoming a great. He's thought only, after individual, but he's you're, only half listening, right? <laughs> he's only half listening. Yes, we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, so today, basically, we view Van Gogh as one of the greatest artists to ever live. If you mention the name Van Gogh, I feel like everybody knows who Van Gogh is. You can say other painters' names, and they'd be like, you might get some people that understand, but Van Gogh is just kind of universal, a universal name. Everybody knows who that is. However, during his lifetime, he was extremely unsuccessful, and many critics considered him a failure at his time. His failure began even before he considered himself an artist. In fact, he was only a full-time artist for about 10 years. Prior to turning 27, he had unsuccessful careers in being an art dealer and also, believe it or not, a missionary. (laughs) Was this before... Or after trying to marry his cousins and then getting it with a hooker. I have no idea. I didn't really look into it. But it was kind of... I, I wonder if he did it because it's the family business. You know, his his dad was a minister, so it's just kind of like whatever. And then he, he does... You know, he has that thing with Eugenie where he's like, 
Oh, no, it wasn't Eugenie. It was CN, where he's like, I love the women that the clergyman hates. So he must have been a horrible missionary. And now it's just like, screw you, people. You know, I'm going to marry or be with whoever I want. So, yes, he was not successful in anything he did, for the most part. He did have one successful year, which we'll talk about uh, in just a bit. So, like I said, prior to 27, he had other jobs. He lived in extreme poverty for most of his adult life. As I've mentioned, Theo, his brother, was his main financial support. He did have one successful year, and that was 1873. That was the year that he lived in in London as an art dealer. What else did he do in London? Cut his ear off. No, he didn't cut his ear off. What? Uh, that was the time that he was with Eugenie. The, okay. one, the, the girl that had the secret affair, not affair, but the secret engagement to the guy that lived that in his lived apartment in his, yes. before. So, at that time, while he was in London, he actually made more money than his father ever had, and in his mind, that was how he made it. You know, He thought, man, I'm making good money, I'm making more than my parents had, so I'm making it. However, as we talked about, he fell in love with Eugenie Lawyer at that time, and later, she broke his heart. And at that point is when he became depressed and that's when he became, he started to withdraw himself from others. And he just straight up, because of the heartbreak, just left London. Left the best job he ever had just because of his broken heart. Okay. Okay. And so at 27, he decided that he wanted to focus fully into his paintings and drawings. So he'd kind of dabbled in it before. It wasn't his full-time gig. He was an art dealer. He had other th- jobs. Um, but at 27, that's when he became an artist. Believe it or not, he was actually self-taught. Okay. So he, you know, he probably picked up influences from people he sold and things like that, but everything was self-taught. And interesting enough, his original, his original style was actually fairly boring, consisting of a lot of dark browns and earth tones. Whenever I think of Van Gogh, I think of bright colors. I don't know if you think the same or... So I do remember from last time I was talking about my favorite Van Gogh painting. Which is, it's a skeleton. I'm trying to find the uh, the link here, but it's a, literally a skeleton smoking a cigarette. Right. And it's very dark. It's brown. It's very drab. Right. But it's totally what I dig mm-hmm. art wise. It's just literally a skeleton with a cigarette, black background, plain. Kind of looks like something that you would see in like a tattoo shop almost. Somewhat, but a little bit more cultured. Right, right. Yeah. Or like a cigar, you know, a, a high-end cigar lounge or something. Now that you said that, it totally makes me think of social distortion. Okay, you're right, it does. Yeah. So if you just take the glass out of his hand and make him look not so happy, that's what the painting was. Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, that, that was one of his other, you know, that was one of his more famous darker colors. Uh, but as, as he gets on, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, is he does kind of transition to lighter colors, but... At the beginning, he started with dark browns and earth tones, and part of this was due to the fact that he used farmers and peasants as his models, and also because he was too poor to pay his his subjects. So, farmers, peasants, farm life, that's pretty brown, you know? Absolutely. Not a lot of color there, kind of boring, but yeah, he he just didn't do a lot of models with, with color. That also led him, because of his lack of money, painting a lot of flowers and landscapes and self-portraits. So, yes, flowers and landscape can sometimes have color, but in his the area that he was in, it was mostly just darker, darker tones. 
So, during his short 10-year career, Van Gogh painted and drew over 900 pieces. That makes me think of someone that's manic-depressive. Because mm-hmm. 900 paintings in 10, 10 years. years. Okay, so that's almost 100 paintings a year. Right. Right? So that means he's painting a picture every, what? A few days. Four days, something yeah. like that. Now, a painting typically isn't... It, it takes some time to mm-hmm. paint. It's not something you just paint... You know, in three or four hours and you're done. Right. It takes a little bit of thought. Mm-hmm. So it just seems like a very manic thing for, to me that he would just start painting and paint for ten years straight without getting up and going to do something else, without trying to become an art dealer again, without trying to, you know, have another lover, without doing something. He just said, nope, painting only. Almost like something was driving him mentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can totally see that. It, it's... That is a lot, and I've, I, unfortunately, or I don't want to say unfortunately, but I do know some people that are manic and have those stages, and yeah, it, I could totally see that. And so 900 pieces is a ton. He also, like I said, had those 800 letters that kind of outlined his experience, experience in life, all of those, and majority of those being to his brother Theo. But that was all within that 10-year period. Uh, however, with all of that work, guess how many paintings he sold his entire life? Well, I know the answer to it, so I won't guess. Ah, dang it. All right, so he only sold one painting his entire life, which is insane. The only one that he sold was seven months before he died. He sold his painting called The Red Vineyard for a mere 400 francs. After, you know, for me, after doing some research, my best guess is that it would probably be about $400 today. So not a whole lot. No, not at all. So that's that's crazy, and, and I think the craziest part of this is today, his paintings are can are valued at like hundreds of millions of dollars. So the most expensive painting ever sold for Van Gogh was sold in 1990 at 86 million dollars. My gosh! And that was in 1990. We're talking 30 years ago. So that's well over 100 100 million these days. Van Gogh's fame did not happen until after his death. And his fame can actually be attributed to the efforts of his sister-in-law, Joe Van Gogh Bonger. Funny last name, I know. (laughs) Uh, Joe was the wife of Vincent's extremely close brother, Theo, who we've talked about, uh, who those letters were to uh, that we mentioned earlier. Six months after Vincent's death, his brother, Theo, actually contracted syphilis and died at the age of 34. Joe would then inherit a large collection of Vincent's work. She actually made it her life's mission to promote Vincent's work, which I thought was interesting. I mean, yeah, he's your brother-in-law, but I mean, I love my sister-in-laws, but I, I don't know if I would ever make it, sorry, Amanda and Victoria, but I don't know if I would ever make that my life's work. Like if it was my wife, I think I would. So we were talking about this before. It kind of makes me wonder if he, he, with his letters and everything, if it was a cry for help that they kind of ignored. Mm-hmm. So once he died, they were kind of like, oh, and there was guilt there. So she right. figured, hey, you know, now I'm going to try to help, right. you know, bolster who he was. Or was it that they're like, well, you know, this is actually really good painting. We are art dealers. Let's see if we can, you know, use this to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thought. I don't think it was because I don't think she made a ton of money off of it. What are you looking at? So when we did this before, the first time we recorded yeah. this, I asked you the question, was his wife mad that he got syphilis? Mm-hmm. And we were trying to figure out, can you get syphilis without having intercourse? Right. And just from a very, very, very cursory Google search, 
which my history is going to be screwed up now. <laughs> uh, it says, no, you don't have to have intercourse to get it. Just being in close contact with an infected person's genitals, mouth, or rectum is enough to infect you. Okay. So he, he may have been in contact with somebody's, we'll say mouth, Okay. to get it. I wonder if, like, I took a sip from a glass. You took a sip from a glass. Would that, I wonder if that would. Possibly. Yeah. Or, wait, you never know. I, I don't but want yeah, to it either way. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I, I do not want that. But yeah, I never thought about that. Maybe, you know, it could have been the fact that he was related. It could have been the fact that it could have made them money. I don't think they really made, I mean, they probably made some money off of it. But she ended up loaning a lot of the work to various exhibits and even published the letters to tell his story. She took, she did a lot, you know, to, to, to push his, his work. And even after she passed, Van Gogh's nephew, who was also named Vincent, took on the responsibility of promoting him and f- even founded the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam in 1973. So this was like a family effort. And that's awesome. Thank you, Joe and uh, Vincent Willem. You know, it's without, without them, we wouldn't know Van Gogh. That's pretty cool, but it's it's sad. It's sad that he did all of this work and got... He literally has no idea that he's successful. Yeah. That's, making $400 off your work. Right. And now or, people are making millions of dollars yeah. off his work. You feel like taking a break real quick? Yeah, we can take a little break. Let's do that. We'll be back in a minute. We are back. Nick, what's next? So, once again, Van Gogh's life has been kind of a train wreck, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Uh, and it just gets even worse for this dude. I feel bad for him. But we're going to talk about his mental illness. So, we've alluded to it throughout the podcast. And now we're going to really dive into Van Gogh and his, his mental illness. So, Van Gogh suffered from mental illness throughout his entire life. Toward the end of his life, actually, in 1889, he actually checked himself into a mental hospital. Once again, my French is horrible. So St. Paul de Massau is where he checked himself into. So if you think about it, he he must have had an idea that he had mental, um, some sort of mental illness problem. Was he ever diagnosed? We'll talk about that in, in just a bit. He had experienced various mental health episodes over the previous months and decided, hey, it's time. We got, I have to go in, I have to check myself in, which 
which is good because he was self-aware at least he knew something was wrong i feel like i know a lot of people that don't know they have it or you know unfortunately they don't know they have it and don't seek care and it had gotten bad so he put himself into the kudos to him yeah so at the time the doctors diagnosed him with epilepsy which is interesting i wouldn't have thought when i think of epilepsy i just think of seizures due Absolutely. to light or movement or something like that sure yeah maybe you know i i don't i'm not a doctor so i don't know so if anybody out there if you guys if there are other symptoms besides what we described let us know you know we want to we want to know our facts and learn more so we'd love to hear that however today's medical professionals aren't completely sure what van gogh truly suffered from but a cool thing is in in 2016 the Van Gogh Museum actually brought in 35 professionals from various fields. They had physicians, psych- psychiatrists, and also art historians. So looking at his art and how it changed over over that period of time. And during that two-day conference, they actually dove into his letters, uh, historical information, all the medical evidence that they had to try and provide a unofficial diagnosis. So almost like a 200 years later like autopsy not, not an autopsy but you know what i mean like trying to f- that, that, i think that'd be kind of cool try to figure out what this dude had like how do you even sign up for that job so well not just that but how do you figure it out right without seeing the patient literally just going off of his letters and, and the actions that he made but at the same time i feel like psychologists and psychiatrists probably see patterns and they probably have patients that showed these types of things but Yeah, you know, it it probably is pretty difficult. After this two-day conference, there was two things they could come to conclusion on. It was one that he did suffer from psychosis, so they were in agreement of that. And the other one was it was not possible for him to be schizophrenic. And the reason for that is because he he suffered from short psychiatric episodes. Apparently, schizophrenia, much longer episodes, and he never showed signs of those. These professionals believe that he could have also suffered from any of the following. Bipolar disorder, temporal lobe epilepsy, so even today they believe he may have had epilepsy. Here's another word we just talked about, syphilis. Mm -hmm. So maybe he had come in, now that I think about it, maybe Theo had come into contact with Vincent. It's possible. So maybe he caught it from Vincent after Vincent was with the pregnant lady. (laughs) I I mean, yeah, it could be... uh, could be sharing hands or, you know, not sharing hands, but but exchanged through just knowing knowing one another and, and being in close proximity. So syphilis, borderline personality disorder, and cycloid psycho- psychosis. So he just runs the game. Oh, yeah. Much. This guy was messed up. Yeah. And there was a huge, huge list uh, that it could have been. There's a lot of different things. But evidence does show that he likely dealt with things such as hallucinations, Acoustic hallucinations. So not not just seeing things, but hearing things as well. Optical hallucinations and also delusions. Hyper excitation with confusional states. Incoherent speech and also unclear memory about the episodes. So like when you black out drunk. To an extent, yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it sounds like. Could you imagine going through, maybe doing something awful and then like just coming to and... Why am I here? Where am I? Who am I? I mean, I don't think there was ever who am I, but what just happened? Yeah, no, that'd be a nightmare. I couldn't imagine living through that. There's days where, and I know you, you know, I know you suffer from this too. 
just anxiety attacks. Like sure. whenever I, they're few and far between these days, but I know I've had times where anxiety attacks just would come on and that's hard to live with. Could you imagine hearing things, seeing things, having epilepsy? Like, no. How do you live? I don't know. It, it had to have been terribly hard. Yeah. And on top of it, being rejected by almost every person. Yeah. He just, it, it just compounded and compounded throughout his life. So his mental illness led to very to two very infamous events in his life that most of us know about, or if you if you've heard of Van Gogh, you may have heard these. The first is the well-known story of Van Gogh cutting off his own ear, which we've kind of kidded around with. So yeah, Van Gogh did cut off his own ear. But one thing that needs to be cleared up before I go into the story and is a little opposed to maybe the legends and the myths that you've heard about Van Gogh is Van Gogh didn't actually cut off his entire ear. He only cut off the lobe, which still, <laughs> not I mean, that's still pretty crazy to do to yourself. Uh, he only cut off the lobe. However, the story of what actually happened is still pretty crazy. So on December 23rd, 1888, he and his housemate and fellow artist, Paul Gauguin, got into a heated argument. Gauguin ran down the street, and at the time, Van Gogh actually had a razor. So, if I'm holding a knife or a razor, what do you, if, if you had a knife or a razor, you were in a fight, I'm not saying what would you do, but when you hear that, that lead up, what do you think is going to happen next? I think he's going to use that razor on the person that he's trying to attack or having the argument with. Right. That, that is the first place I would go. Well, in this story, what does he do? He actually takes the razor to himself. So Van Gogh decided not to run after him. Instead, he went back home. He cut off his own ear. And the kicker to it, and this is a weird part of the story, he gives it to a prostitute. <laughs> Why? Here you go. Can you imagine just working the corner and all of a sudden, what the hell is this? Was it payment? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> what? <laughs> going, up to, going up to the prostitute. What can I get for uh, an earlobe? <laughs> it'll be worth Nothing. something someday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll be worth $400 someday. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he gives it to a prostitute. And this story, I mean, it kind of lives in infamy until, t- until this day. Everybody knows some sort of version of it. We all have the idea or have heard that he cut off his own ear. So that is what the story is today. And that's how we think about it today. However... In 2009, two Germans published a book that tells a different story. In their case, Gauguin took his fencing saber and sliced off a portion of Van Gogh's ear during the fight. To me, this sounds more realistic. Not saying that I would take, you know, if you and I ever got in a fight, I'm not going to pull out my sword and, you know, cut your ear off. But this sounds a little bit more realistic. Okay? So he sliced off a portion of Van Gogh's ear during the fight. This was to prevent Gauguin from going to prison. And not only him going to prison, but also Van Gogh would be losing one of his close friends, which he had, you know, very few friends. So it would be a loss for him. Sure. Van Gogh agreed to cover up the truth by fabricating this story. This just sounds like one of those crazy dreams you wake up from. Like, babe, I had this dream where I cut off my own ear and gave it to a prostitute. But he told, like, that's the story he told people. But, so it makes me think of when you're a kid. He seems like such a, he has such a juvenile mind. Mm-hmm. When you get hurt, when, when you and your friends are riding bikes, whatever, you used to, you know, skid each other's tires, try and knock each other off. Maybe that was just me. When somebody falls and gets hurt, 
what is it that you want to do? You don't want to get up and run and tell you like, okay, it's fine. I'm okay. Just don't tell anybody because you want to keep riding bikes. Mm-hmm. You want right. to keep having fun with that person. Right. That seems like what he did. Yeah, I know you just tried to kill me with a sword. I'll tell somebody I did it so that we can stay friends. Like it just seems so juvenile. Right. And sad. Right. And you think you would come up with a, a better story than that? You would think so, but again, it's such a juvenile mind. It's just right. the first thing that came to right. You know. And you wonder who he's telling. Like, is he's telling the police? Were they involved, or was he just telling his friend? It's just maybe it's he was really telling odd. the prostitute all he was giving her the <laughs> ear. I cut it off myself. Don't worry. My friend didn't do it. Had nothing to do with it. Why does he have a sword? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a crazy incident. Now the second and probably the more tragic story. It definitely is the more tragic story. <laughs> probably is that Van Gogh ends his life by uh, by shooting himself in the abdomen in ni- in 1890. He had gone out to paint a wheat field in France. And this was during his time uh, after he had admitted himself into the asylum. After The story is, after pulling the trigger, he walked a mile to the closest inn. Oh my gosh. That's insane. Shooting yourself in the abdomen and then walking a mile. Unfortunately, the wounds that he suffered did not end his life immediately. Like That'd be awful. He did not pass for a whole two days. It is widely believed that Van Gogh succumbed to his mental illness and took his own life. So I want to back up a little bit. Man, if I was going to kill myself, not that I am, but that seemed to be like the last thing I would do. Yeah, the gut just seems so painful and, mm-hmm. you know, almost like it wouldn't kill you. And it didn't kill him for two days. You right. think that, yeah, you'd aim for somewhere a little more vital. Right. And... I just the amount of pain you would be in. Yeah, I mean that that sounds gruesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he shot himself. He didn't die right away, and he basically basically the thought is that he succumbed to that mental illness, and that's why he he shot himself. However, there is recent speculation that he actually did not kill himself. In a 2011 biography, a new story came to light that could possibly give you another angle on this. The authors claim that there is evidence that two young teenage boys had actually shot and killed Van Gogh. One of the boys was already known for mocking Van Gogh and kind of heckling him and and, uh, giving him a hard time. And with the help of his brother, decided to shoot and kill Vincent. And it was actually the brother of the boy who mocked him that was the one that ended up pulling the trigger. So what evidence do they have of this? It's almost the lack of evidence that kind of makes it a little bit more... Plausible. Plausible or solid. So no one actually ever found the gun or paint supplies in this wheat field that Van Gogh had supposedly gone to. Okay. So it was the lack of of a gun, lack of, of a painting. So was he actually painting or did something else happen? Did he even have a gun? I don't know. Okay. I didn't I didn't hear anything about that. But there was also a man who reported that he had heard a gunshot in Overs, not the wheat field. So in the actual city. This would have led to a much easier, still hard though, half mile journey to the inn. But you're also not going through wheat fields, you're going through streets. In this story, which is still sad, Van Gogh was actually happy they shot him and did not want anything to be charged against them because it put an end to his unhappiness and he would no longer be a burden to his brother. Wow. 
That's sad. Right. So either way, if you look at it, he is succumbing to mental illness. Whether he shot himself or these boys shot him and he just chose to die because he's like, my life sucks. I just want to end it. I'm not going to press any charges. But think about how many cousins you have. <laughs> like, <laughs> Only you would take somebody dying and make a joke out of it. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's another three listeners that we're not bringing back. Anyway. <laughs> we're down to two. We're down to two listeners. Uh, you know, anyway, tragic throughout. But once again, it could be tied to his mental illness. And it is sad. Yeah. That whether he killed himself or whether he was murdered... Either way, it's a sad thing. But if he was murdered and he just said, no, I accept it. I don't want these kids to get in trouble. Let me be. My life is worthless. Mm -hmm. That just is such a hard thing to hear. Oh, yeah. Because he may think his life is worthless. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure his brother didn't. Yeah. I'm sure the people he was around constantly didn't think that. Mm -hmm. It's so sad that he was in that state. Right. Right. The other thing, though, that I was thinking about when I was writing this, you wonder if he would have lived a full life if he would have been famous. Like, would his brother and his sister-in-law have put the effort probably not which so he is, probably wouldn't have been famous yeah. he probably would have continued to live that way and right. died poor and, and you know in the streets somewhere yeah. either way sad sad way to go out yeah you know and, and, and yeah if you have mental illness out, out there seek help there's people out there to help you and and you know speak your voice so that people can can help you out there but although his mental illness clearly had a negative impact on his life it also led to some of his greatest pieces of work. During that one year that he lived in the mental institution, his treatments primarily included long baths, which I thought was a little interesting, but also time to paint. In this one year, he produced he produced about 100 pieces, which we talked about. It was maybe a little bit more than average, but about what he was putting out. But some of his most famous pieces during this time, it included Starry Night, which is currently housed in the New York Museum of Modern Art, as well as Iris's, which it was purchased in 1987 at 53.9 mil. So I haven't seen Iris's. I'm going to have to look that up. Okay. Yeah, maybe we can put a, 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 some notes or, or a link in the, in the show description. Uh, the other thing that we see is his color usage change, and we think that it may be part of his mental illness. So when Van Gogh first began as an artist, he was known once again for using those darker earth tone colors. However, as Van Gogh progressed in his career, we see him start to use more vibrant colors, one specific one being yellow. You start to see yellow throughout his paintings. One theory is that he used yellow due to possible overdoses of digitalis. And my brother who is in the medical field is probably gonna kill me because I probably said that wrong. Either way, it was used on psychiatric patients at that time. And the big thing with this is in large concentrations of this drug, it can result in xanthosopia. It can result in xanthosia. X-A-N-T-H-O-P-S-I-A for all you people out there. So once again, forgive me for the butchering of that word. This condition causes the eye to yellow, which results in individuals having a yellow tint. So he may have been painting in yellow because he saw yellow. Okay, then wouldn't every color he sees be yellow? 
I mean, it wouldn't be all yellow, but it would be tints of yellow. And maybe he was just putting his thoughts and things on, on to the canvas and onto paper. So that is one thought uh, of it. Just to give you an idea, the yellowness gives them that, that yellow tint. Something similar that we can think of today would be something like cataracts or jaundice also have, have similar side effects. However, I know this is, you know, sounds interesting, but many doctors now speculate that it's more than likely an unlikely cause just because of the sudden use of yellow. It wasn't very gradual. And the amount of digitalis that is needed to actually cause these effects is extremely high. And the medical records show that Van Gogh was not prescribed that much. Not saying so, that he couldn't. You know, it's a mental institution. I don't know if you've ever seen documentaries about mental asylums back in the day. Horribly ran. So, you know, he may have been able to sneak this drug or whatever. So it's not entirely out of the question, but... I'm sure their records weren't the best either. So oh, possibly he was given extra yeah. by one nurse. Another nurse comes in and says, oh, here's your medicine, and gave it to him again because, you know, nobody writes things down. Right. That's a possibility. I don't know that. Maybe this place wasn't like that. But I can totally see him getting an overdose back in the 1800s. Oh, but. yeah. And I'm not sure what the side effects were. You know, was it something that you felt good from or, you know, what it may be. So maybe he did get a high off of it or something and he took too much of it without people knowing. Uh, the second theory is that he was personally conducting color experiments in his later work. He did mention that he was doing some color experiments in his later writings. He started to explore outside of his usual color palette. His main reason was that it allowed him to better express his feelings. So it's very possible that the feelings of insanity and things were coming out in his work. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like, just me personally, my mood describes, you know, will affect how I think, how I talk. So I could very easily see this happening. Absolutely. And I could see an artist using that. Mm -hmm. The way I feel affects what I listen to. Right. So I can totally see somebody who's painting have how they feel affect what they're creating. Yeah. Totally makes sense. And I think, think we see it a lot in music today as well. You know, people will put out albums or songs that talk about their, their love life or their mental illness or, you know, whatever it may be that's affecting them. So... You can translate that into art and whatever they're thinking, whatever, however I can get my thoughts out. This, this would probably, it could have even been therapeutic for him um, at that time. So either way, it is clear that his mental state did end up resulting in a change in his artwork and actually helped him produce some of his best known pieces. So overall, uh, Van Gogh is known today as one of the greatest artists to ever grace this planet. However, if you look at his life, it really was not apparent to him at all. He never got to know. Like, yeah. How sad is that? It's very unfortunate. Like, can you imagine in 50 years, our, podga our podcast is like pulled out of some archive and somehow blows up and we get no credit for it because we're long gone. Yeah, because we've both been shot in the gut by some <laughs> angsty teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Uh, so... It was sad, you know, he, he had this life that was in his eyes a complete failure, a tragedy, and he didn't ever get to realize his full potential. But today we benefit from what he's done. He's inspired so many people and is viewed as, as a hero in a lot of people's eyes. And for a man that, that many view today as their artist idol, his life was one that was short 
and one that would none of us would want to experience. Well, I mean, it's hard to say that because he kept striving. Mm-hmm. He he's a person that it seems like nothing could stop him from true going after what he wanted, mm-hmm. regardless of what it was he was after, whether he should have been after it or not. He continued to strive to be what he wanted to be, to have what he wanted to have. Yeah. And I'd like to look at it as he was murdered, he didn't commit suicide. And, you know, he would have continued painting. He would have continued mm. trying to sell his artwork. And I would I'd like to think that he would have mm. found success later on in his life. Yeah. If he wasn't, you know, murdered by the two teenagers. Right, right. Yeah, and either way, you know, it, it, he ended up being, you know, like I said, one of the most influential people absolutely in the art world. And it's it's so awesome to to see what he has done in people's lives after the fact. And he definitely is to a lot of people a hero. So, yeah. So, what did you learn today? Well, it's hard to say because it's the second time we've gone around this. Okay, well, let's just say <laughs> overall in the total experience of Van Gogh through our two recordings you know what what did you find out that you didn't know before i i didn't know that there was so much unrequited love Mm -hmm. i didn't know that he constantly went after family members Mm -hmm. i didn't know that he almost didn't think enough of himself to go after a woman that wasn't a prostitute right it seems like or somebody that was safe like a family member yeah so it's sad i didn't i didn't know that Mm -hmm. um i didn't know that he painted as many paintings as he did yeah i i I always think about when I hear famous painters or artists, whatever it is, all I can think of is the few paintings that I know from them. And so that's what I think. Oh, they painted 50 pictures, you know, 35 of them sold for millions of dollars. They, they lived wealthy and died, you know, with their belly full and, right. you know, surrounded by good friends. You don't think this person painted almost a thousand pictures in 10 years and made 400, 400 bucks, bucks off of it. Right. Which today, $400... I mean, people frivolously spend constantly. Mm-hmm. $400 for a lot of people is nothing. Right. Where this guy, $400 was the most he made from his work. Right. Right. It's insane. And I think that's that was the one thing that I learned. I, I just thought famous artists, he probably made tons of money. He was a little off his rocker, but we see a lot of people, you know, that are, are famous musicians, actors, things like that. We're a little off the rocker, but they end up making good stuff. And are, are millionaires, and in this case, you know, he didn't. He was not even remotely famous during his time. So, overall, I, I really like this one. I, I think I want to go into more people like this that have. I don't want to say mental illness interests me. Like I know that's a, a I, that's probably a bad way to put it, but it, the mind, just how the mind works, is is fascinating, fascinating. topic. Yeah. yeah, and so it was cool to kind of just dig into this and, and see that side and see how it can affect people and affect their work. So absolutely, yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our, our show today. But uh, before we go, Cliff, tell us a little bit about uh, how they can get into touch with us. Well, you guys can always email us. We're still waiting for our first email, so hey, you you be first. We'll uh, we'll give you a virtual high five. Yeah, a little shout out. So please email us at humanizinghistory at gmail you can find us on Twitter at HumanizingPod. We are on Reddit. That is r slash humanizing underscore history. You can find us on Instagram at Humanizing History. And you can find us on Facebook. We are Humanizing History. And we, we really want to hear from you. 
And another thing we want to do is we want to make you guys a part of our show. So if you noticed, the intro today was neither Cliff or I. It would be kind of a high-pitched voice for either one it of us. It might be. <laughs> uh, that was Cliff's son, William, Willie. Uh, and we want to be able to have you guys be part of the show. So if you would like, you can actually record that piece and send that over to us in some sort of audio file. Where can they find that information? You guys can find that in our show notes. I will put a link in there. And you can go, uh, it's essentially to Anchor, our pod hosting website. And you can record your your voice and send it through Anchor to us. And we can put it right on our podcast from Anchor. Awesome. Well, we can't wait to hear from you guys. We're excited uh, to see this show grow. And I uh, hope you guys all have a, a great week. And we'll be back uh, next Monday. Absolutely. And I- I'm loving how many people we have from outside of America. If you are from outside of America, give us a shout. Give us an email and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm listening from Zimbabwe or I'm listening from wherever it is you're listening to. I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, we're excited. We're excited. And, hey, if there's if there's famous people that from your neck of the woods that you want us to cover, let us know. We want to learn more. So keep them, keep them coming our way and uh, we'll uh, make some good content. So. Absolutely. See All you right. guys later.